Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors just like you about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. I'm David Partain, and I'm joined with my co-host, Laura Gregg. Hello, Laura. Hello, David. How are you today? I am doing well, and I am excited about our show today, where we will continue to dive into our latest research and how firms can build a sustainable diversity, equity, and inclusion program. Today, we welcome D.A. Abrams, a leader on this topic from the CFP Board's Center for Financial Planning. As our regular listeners are aware, on The Flexible Advisor, we seek to invite guests that will provide unique insights and actionable ideas for advisors that want to fine-tune or grow their businesses while deepening client relationships. Well, Laura, in our latest research, we found that, well, while advisors cited the need for more diversity within their firms and within the industry, as you and I have spoken about, they also reported that their firms were not prioritizing DEI ahead of other business initiatives. Why do you think that is? Well, David, unfortunately, we don't have data to support what I'm what my hypothesis is, but I, I believe uh, part of that may be due to DEI being a new idea for many firms, especially small and mid-sized firms. DEI can feel like a daunting task for leaders that have never tackled it previously. They may be concerned that they may not get it right or perhaps fear they may say something wrong unintentionally. If I think of myself, and this is not something I'm proud of at all, but I'm a list person. So when I look at my to-do list, I'll often first tackle those things that are going to be easy things to check off my list, the things I'm familiar and comfortable with. And other things that I see on there that I know I haven't tackled before, and I, I say to myself, I'm going to put that off until I have enough time to be thoughtful about starting that project and digging in. And, you know, quite frankly, when really do any of us ever have enough time? Laura? Yes. Well, how does your husband feel about you being a list person for him? <laughs> well, he would say he's the better list person, and that's one of our many disagreements. But okay, Very but good. for work, I definitely am the best list person. Well, I appreciate those lists. I'll tell you. <laughs> so, anyhow, today we have DA Abrams, and I'm hoping that DA can get us all jump started on not only embracing and creating a diversity, equity, and inclusion program, but also to help us avoid the pitfalls that may cause a new DEI program to be just a temporary initiative rather than something that's sustained for the long term. So we are thrilled to have you on the podcast today, DA. You know, I hope I'm not adding too much to your to-do list in this conversation. Laura, I'm, I'm really all about to-do lists. So listen, <laughs> th thank you, Laura and David. And David, I love that name because actually that's my first name. I go by DA, as you, as you know. It's really my pleasure to join you today to discuss what is near and dear to my heart. And that is the important topic of advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion in a financial planning profession. I'm really looking forward to our conversation during our time here today. 
Oh, that's great. Well, somebody who has the name David and doesn't use it, I have to question whether you think it's a great name or not. But DA, we'll let that go for now. <laughs> it is a great name. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, number one, we are so glad you could join us on the podcast. And number two, I know your insights will be invaluable to our audience. So there may be some listeners that are familiar with the CFP board, of course, but perhaps not with the Center for Financial Planning. So before we get really into the topic about DE&I, it would be great if you could tell us a little bit about your background and explain the role that you play as Managing Director of the CFP Board's Center for Financial Planning. I would love to do that, but first, I really do have to start with the mission of the CFP Board, which is to benefit the public by granting the CFP certification and upholding it as the recognized standard of excellence for competent and ethical personal financial planning. Now, I say that because the Center is a business unit of the CFP board and our mission at the center is to create a more diverse and sustainable financial planning profession so that every American has access to competent ethical financial planning advice. This bold mission is supported by three equally important pillars. Number one, talent pipeline, and that is to cultivate a quality workforce to ensure that the profession can recruit and retain the talent that it needs to grow. Number two, diversity and inclusion, and that is to foster a more diverse financial planner workforce that reflects the existing yet ever-changing demographics in the United States. And then third, something we call knowledge for practice, and that is to build the body of knowledge, elevating the financial planning as a recognized academic discipline in colleges and universities within the United States of America. So let me just do a quick plug now since I have the floor, and that is on November the 17th and 18th, we're gonna be hosting our fourth annual diversity summit during which we invite executives, thought leaders, DEI experts from both within as well as outside of the financial planning profession. And then why are we doing this? So that we can discuss collectively actionable recommendations to apply DEI efforts and to share their diverse perspectives on the benefits of the careers within financial planning. And then on the tail end of that, we have a real-time career fair. This is scheduled and will be held on November the 19th for candidates and employers and the financial planning profession to connect all the sessions similar to last year will be held virtually this year and folks can visit cfp.net backslash events for more details. Now, personally, I joined the CFP board as its managing director of the Center for Financial Planning in November of 2019 after many years at the United States Tennis Association where I held five different positions at the USTA. The last position, again, near and dear to my heart, was that of the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer. Now, you, the host, along with your listeners, may be saying, well, wait a minute, financial planning or financial advice and tennis, that they seem to be very different. And they are, however, my collective experiences in advancing DEI efforts in two distinct industries, professions, if you will, have provided me with an understanding 
of what it takes for an initiative to affect meaningful change, as well as some of the pitfalls. Wow. Yeah, that is a very bold vision and you don't sound busy at all. So uh, there seems to be a lot that needs to be done and that's for certain. DE&I can be a very broad concept and it may even look different for different types of firms. I'm wondering if there's an overarching framework for DE&I and how you think about it. In my view, there certainly, there certainly is. Listen, the main question that every organization faces is how can we achieve truly meaningful change. It's important for for every firm, really, and the leaders as well, to be intentional about how they set up their DE&I program initiative effort to which they are asking their firm to commit because there there is a commitment. And again, in my view, an effective DE&I program consists of four pillars of engagement. The first one is centered around the workforce. And that's to ensure that the firm is hiring, developing, promoting, and retaining its diverse individuals, its diverse talent, uh, along with the other talent at the firm. Second, the workplace. And this is really creating an inclusive workplace because let's face it, if you are very successful at engaging recruiting a very diverse workforce, but they don't feel welcome. They don't feel like they belong. If the culture is not inclusive, they're just simply not going to stay. And then third would be the marketplace. And in terms of really being intentional about who you're selecting, who you're going after, who you're trying to do business with, being very intentional about that. So having strategies and tactics dedicated to that is extremely important. And then lastly, the community and building strategic partnerships. And I want to underline that strategic partnerships with organizations that already have these relationships with what the firm has identified as its primary target audiences from a DEI standpoint. This is extremely important and important. So again, I think you have to have all four, and that's workforce, that's workplace, that's marketplace, and that's community. And then lastly, I would say that this should all really be uh, supported by what I like to call a plan of attack. That includes the primary target audiences that the firm hopes to engage, all supported by goals and objectives, strategies, tactics, measurements. In the end, what does success look like? So. That's my answer. I, I love that overview, DA, and we would agree, and, and our firm, Northern Trust, if it's very much metric-oriented on what are the outcomes that, that we want. But I, I think so many firms may think of DE&I as I, I have to hire people that physically look different than us. And if they do that, they, they think their job is done. And you did such a great job of explaining that it's so much more than that. And it it really drives home the important role that we all play in creating a diverse, equitable, and inclusive industry, and quite frankly, a diverse and inclusive world. But let's start with how you think a firm should think about DEI in in a little more detail. I'm I'm sure that in your your time with CFP, you've heard things similar to what, what we've heard. Often leaders of firms will remind me when we're in a conversation of their small size and explain that with their limited resources, 
their biggest concern is really just keeping the lights on. And in a way, I think when they say that, they feel that there is an absolution that that gives them. And I'm curious, how do you respond when you get statements like that? When firms are hesitant to commit to DEI efforts, often because of one or a combination of the following three reasons. Number one, uh, there are just many competing priorities. They're competing for limited resources. Number two, leaders, they just don't want to accidentally do the wrong thing. And I understand that. The third would be, they just don't know where to begin. It, it seems so big, so vast, so much to do. Like, where? does one begin? Now, I respond by reiterating that advancing DE&I just simply makes good business sense for firms of all sizes, small, medium, and large. It's a business strategy uh, that will really help drive positive business impact. And it's also in an investment in the firm's Future, you, I mean, think about it this way. You're planting seeds knowing that you will reap the benefits and you will reap the benefits of a more diverse workforce in the future. And, and that's great. But like, why are we doing this? this? This directly connects to furthering the business. And then the last point that I would make, it's to me, it's even really better to start now uh, because not every firm is starting now. So this will give you an opportunity to get a jump start on the competition, yielding in a competitive advantage for you leveraging diversity and inclusion for positive business impact. I think that business strategy aspect is so important for people to understand and ultimately accept, right? But once that happens, leaders can overcome their, their mindset on, you know, I should prioritize business things first and then the nice to haves last. But when, when leaders have overcome those concerns and when they truly want to commit to supporting DEI, where do you think the best place is for them to start? And what can they do from within their office or multiple offices if they have them? So that's a great question. And I would say the best place to start is to create a plan. Again, a, I like to call it a plan of attack that really outlines or consists of the four pillars that we mentioned earlier. And just as a reminder, that's workforce, workplace, marketplace, as well as community. And leaders, they really must adopt the, or adapt the plan to the unique challenges of each physical office. In other words, it's not just a one size fits all approach. What works in New York City may not necessarily work in Jackson, Mississippi. What works in San Francisco, California may not necessarily work in Kansas City, Missouri. So, you know, a customized approach to diversifying the profession, the office, if you will, the firm for the good of the firm's business, I think, is what one wants to focus on. And then also, if an organization is going to expand into new cities, which, which often occurs, they should probably incorporate into their workforce portion of their plan ways in which to leverage DEI again, for positive business impact. And then leaders can intentionally, in some cases, open an office in a city with a highly diverse population, if in fact that works for 
the business, if that works for the firm. And in many cases, again, diversifying the workforce to better reflect the the communities in which they're operating just seems to always make sense for business. All right, DA. So as a general statement, I'm going to say we all make mistakes along the way. Well, a lot of people make mistakes. My, I don't tend to make them, but my, my wife would back me up on this. But especially when we're tackling something new, what do you see as the most common barriers to long-term success? And are there pitfalls in, that firms should be looking at so that they can sidestep those kind of pitfalls? And by the way, my wife would not agree with me on that. But I do, though. So, so it's two against do, one. David. Oh, yes, against thank one. you. <laughs> D&I efforts must not be siloed. It's a great first step for a firm to hire an executive dedicated to DEI efforts, but meaningful change really only takes place when it's an all hands on deck approach. Next, I would say it's important to communicate to the employees the business case for advancing. D, E, and I, like how does this connect to what matters to the firm? Demonstrate that it is not just the right thing to do, but that these efforts also ladder up to short-term as well as long-term business success, extremely important. And then the last point that I would make on this is in terms of planning an initiative, it can be difficult to find traction if firms, leaders, focus solely on just one or two of the pillars that we outlined earlier. For example, if a firm focuses on diversifying its workforce, but does not consider the workplace component, it's likely that it's going to have issues retaining its new talent because chances are they're not going to feel included in all that the firm does. I have had the good fortune of meeting so many successful and diverse advisors that are truly committed to helping us all create a more welcoming and inclusive industry. And one in particular comes to mind, DA, she's getting ready to retire in about a year and she services a group of very strong and very high net worth, well-known professional women in a particular industry. And while she's really excited about her next chapter in retirement, she's also at the same time becoming very anxious because she's been unable to find a producing advisor with some level of experience. And she's looking for a woman to serve her, her client base of successful women. And, and she can't find anybody to take her place. And she's wondering, are we all fishing in the same ponds when we're looking for advisors of color or female advisors? And to ex- an extent, I think that that may indeed be the case. At, at FlexShares, we so often talk about the importance of bringing in diverse talent at every level of the organization. And Chandran Thomas, our president of asset management, talked to us and said, it's great to see firms hire a lot of young and talented professionals, but if that's all you hire, you're essentially communicating to your own business in the world that that you're comfortable waiting 20 to 30 years until that young talent has the chance to get the experience and the wisdom that they need to affect meaningful changes in the business. 
So how would you guide those people that are committed to finding diverse talent at all levels? And how can they, they find that talent and more importantly, bring it into the organization so that they can have a, an impact sooner rather than later? As I process that just a bit, I mean, I would recommend that firms pursue uh, strategic partnerships with organizations that have existing relationships with career changers. It's also critical to remember to consider looking outside of the financial planning profession for talent. Skill sets necessary for excellence in the profession, like strong client service, can of course be found in professions from other industries. Some that come to mind will be healthcare, education, hospitality, and even the military. And there are many more. I say look outside of the financial planning profession, leverage those external partnerships as you were focusing on career changes. I think it's a, a home run there. And and actually, DA, as I'm as you're talking, I'm thinking you are the perfect example, right? Coming from the world of tennis into financial services. Well, I don't know if I'm the perfect example, but I am an example. And I'll <laughs> you, take that. <laughs> you are a very good example. <laughs> But I think we we often so get stuck in thinking the the people need to have a financial background, need to have been an advisor, and there, as you said, there are so many other professionals uh, professions that have these core competencies that could easily transition into an advisory world. Absolutely. So, DA, I would like to dive into the community aspect of the four pillars. So, especially in the business of a personal wealth management. Community engagement actually seems tremendously important. And of course, most advisors have built COI relationships with local law and CPA firms. But what other types of engagements should advisors consider pursuing to help them connect with a more diverse group of people? So I would say from a CFP board standpoint, I mean, we host a mentoring program. And the purpose of that really is to connect CFP professionals experienced CFP professionals with those pursuing their CFP certification. And as a CFP professional, becoming a mentor can be a great way to connect with and support diverse individuals just entering the profession. I would even take it one step further and say mentorship is, uh, is, is great, but sponsorship is even greater. So becoming a mentor and, and really helping uh, individuals, diverse individuals through the sponsorship piece, I think it's important. Advisors can also pursue a relationship with HBCUs, uh, historic black colleges and universities, as well as HSIs, Hispanic serving institutions with their career centers or and or their alumni networks. So leveraging all of that, I think, would help us move the profession forward. Yeah, you've provided so much uh, great advice today in a short period of time. And as we start to wrap up, as we do with all of our guests, I'd like to ask you for two more actionable takeaways for our listeners. The first is what can staff members who are not in a position of leading their firm do to help further diversity, equity, inclusion within their organization And second, for the leaders who are listening that are still thinking about formalizing a DE&I program, what one or two things can they do this week to jumpstart that plan? So first for the staffers, I would encourage all financial professionals to be 
active readers. And look, there there are a great deal of podcasts as well. And if you want to cheat on the leader uh, on the reader on the reader deal, listen to Audible, right? So you don't even have to read the books, but listen to Audible. <laughs> and really about the significance of DEI efforts and the initiatives and practice. Consider becoming a mentor or a mentee in the CFP boards program or the like. And and as I said earlier, that sponsorship piece is it just really levels up what you're attempting to do because not only are you providing folks with advice, you're advocating for them as well. So I think that's really important, as well as being an ally within the workplace and external to the workplace. For the leaders, I would say in addition to doing your research, I would encourage you to outline what a pillar-based DNI initiative would look like in your organization. And then remember, you're doing this because this is a strategy, not the only strategy, but you're utilizing DEI as a strategy to really look, impact the business in a very positive way. So those are the two things that I would recommend, one for each, the financial planning professionals, and then the other for the leaders in organizations. DA, you are such a great wealth of information, and it has been a real delight to have you on the podcast today. So thank you very much. I really appreciate you all having me on. Thank you so much. But for more information regarding what we've talked about today from a CFP board standpoint, please visit cfp.net backslash the Center for Financial Planning, and you'll get all the information we talked about plus more. That's great. Thank you, DA. And that will also be in the show notes. If you like this podcast, you may also like the other FlexShares podcast called Funds in Focus. Check it out today and you will find it wherever you get your podcasts. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.